This episode of the podcast is sponsored by our friends at Five Wives Vodka, Wizarding Days, Market Source Real Estate, and The Melting Pot. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. All right, let's welcome everybody out to a brand new episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. If this is your first time here and you're like, what is this podcast that I found? What is this podcast that I downloaded? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it really fast. This is a podcast all about showcasing awesome people right here in Salt Lake City. We're talking to musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, distilleries, breweries. I think you get the idea. We're talking to anyone that might have a cool story to share. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 369. My name is Chris. I'm sitting right across the table from my awesome co-host, Christina. How are you doing over there? I am doing amazing. Almost as amazing as the conversation we're about to share with you guys. On this week's episode, we got to sit down and chat with Hassan and Terry, owners of Salt Lake City's very own Sweet Lake Biscuits and Limeade. They have such a cool story of how they started, where they're at now, and where they're going in the future. It was a lot of fun chatting with them. This podcast episode actually has kind of a fun story behind it. We actually ran into Hassan and Terry at the City Weekly Best of Party this past November when we went to go get our Best Podcast Award. Anyway, uh, Christina was eating some of their food. One thing led to another. We all started chatting, and it was at that moment that I was like, wait a minute, Hassan has actually been on the podcast before, way back in episode 10, with his band, Hectic Hobo. And you know what's funny about this, Christina, is there was a time when I could tell you every episode, every episode of this podcast, I could tell you, oh, that's episode 25, oh, that's episode 58, I've talked to so many people, I forget it's just everybody that I've talked to. <laughs> too many. Not, never too many, right? We're recording today in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our awesome podcast studio that's located in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. And not only do they have an amazing selection of vape juice and vape accessories, but this is where you can actually now purchase your very own I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. So stop on in, check this place out, and pick up an I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. And we also want to personally extend our invitation to all of you to come join our Facebook group if you haven't yet. We have an amazing online community of listeners, and we would love you to come be a part of it. You can find the group by searching for I Am Salt Lake Community inside of Facebook search, or you can just type IamSaltLake.com forward slash group in your URL browser, and it will forward you right to the Facebook group. All right, before we get into this conversation with Hassan and Terry, I want to tell you about one of our awesome sponsors for this episode, Market Source Real Estate. I know there's a lot of listeners that are moving to Salt Lake City, and a lot of you have no idea where to buy a house, where a cool area of town is, what's even good here in Salt Lake City. And this is where you need to contact our friends Monique and Jeremy Higginson of Market Source Real Estate. For the past 17 years, they've been specializing in helping people buy and sell homes right here in Sugar House in the greater Salt Lake City area. And with a background of flipping houses themselves, they've owned almost two dozen homes, and so they know all the ins and outs of older homes. If you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate specializes in helping sellers update or repair their homes to increase their value and make sellers more money. If you're looking to buy an old home, they know what to look for, so you don't end up buying a money pit. You can find all their info right on their website at thinksaltlakecity.com or you can give them a call at 801-810-6773. And many thanks to Market Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's jump into that conversation that we had with Hassan and Terry when they came and sat down with us to share their story. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the conversation. But what do you remember about the first time that I recorded with you. Oh man, I nothing. I don't think I remember. I remember, I remember that we did it, and I remember being in a room, and I don't even remember which like other band members were there. I, I think I, they all were. Were they all there? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, and we're talking about Hectic Hobo, uh-huh. obviously. Um, but seven it, years ago, you've been probably different members in. Yeah, and we've had a handful of bass players. I couldn't. I couldn't even say. Seven years ago today, who was the bass player? <laughs> and we have we had a couple of different accordion players and like. Well, and, and obviously we're here today to talk a lot about Sweet Lake Biscuits and Limeade, which is awesome. It's it's funny. So we, we actually met and chatted a lot at the City Weekly uh, Best of Party. Mm-hmm. 
And then I didn't even realize it. I was like, oh, yeah, you have been on the podcast. Completely slipped my mind. Uh, but Terry, you haven't been on the podcast. So, no. and this is still kind of the first time for you, Hasten. It's Hasten. Hassan. Right? Hassan. Gosh, I bet you a lot of people. Everyone says, just calls me Hassan. Ha- even even after you. I said, how do you pronounce your name? I still screwed it up. I apologize. You know, okay, so it's been a while since we've had four people on the podcast, but I'm going to still start it how I like to start podcasts. And I'm going to completely throw you off here. What did your childhood smell like? I don't know who wants to go first or or who wants to, you know, those memories of childhood smells, right? We all have those memories of growing up. Biscuits. Biscuits. <laughs> so you grew up eating a lot of biscuits. Then. Yeah. Really? Is that kind of the inspiration behind mm-hmm. starting all the Sweet Lake stuff? Yeah. Excellent. What about what about you, Terry? Um, smell like, let's see. My mom always home cooked. We had home cooked meals for she would cook everything and send us off to school and have our own little homeschool lunch. And so um, she's a really good cook. So I remember, yeah, always having like a food smell in the home. You said home. Were you homeschooled? Um, no, no, she would make us like homemade lunch. Oh, and then homemade. Us, okay, yeah. to school. I was saying we, homeschool because yeah. I was homeschooled. That's why oh, I was like, yeah. okay, well, maybe we'll we'll get a connection there. I, I did don't... go to private school, Montessori. So, and you both grew up here in Utah, or or where I grew up you... in, uh, as a kid in San Antonio, Texas, and I came here when I was eleven years old. And you as well, Terry. Or... I was born and raised here and, in Pleasant and... Grove. So. I have a question about Montessori. How did you like that? It was weird. <laughs> it was like, that was really new when you were going probably, wasn't um, it? Yeah. I mean, all of my siblings went and I guess we didn't really know any different, but. Yeah. I know. I just know Montessori right now is like, there's people lining up to get their kids into those schools. Yeah. That's crazy. It's a little bit more hands-on, like one-on-one. Isn't yeah. that like crazy expensive? Yeah, yeah. I've Missouri looked it school. up, private school. and I'm mm-hmm. not yeah. going to put any of my kids because yeah. it's too expensive. <laughs> so I think it's pretty cool that you got to go. Yeah, I went till sixth grade is when I switched over to public school. So very cool. Well, let's let's jump right into Sweet Lake, especially since I got Terry in in, in the Haas. Haas here. The the like wasn't Haas from Dukes of Hazard. Or no, that, it was from Bonanza. Bonanza Haas. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's, that's right. You know. Okay, so there's some Dukes questions. of Hazard is Luke and. Luke and, and Bo Duke. Bo, yeah. Luke, Luke and Bo, and then, yeah, yeah. and then, well, I was thinking and the Daisy. guy, Boss Hog. Boss Hog. Boss Hog, yeah. In our group, <laughs> we mentioned that we were going to be chatting with you, with you two. I'm going to jump right into these questions because they're probably going to be questions we're going to want to cover anyway. I mean, we'll, I want to get into the history of, of how it started and whatnot, but this opening question from Trina at Buzzed Coffee. I don't know if you guys know Trina, Buzzed Coffee Truck, the food truck. Uh, well, I guess it's a coffee truck. We know yeah, the, we know the we coffee know the truck. truck. I don't know if we know Trina. Yeah, she wanted to know. She says, I'd love to know about the process they went through from transitioning to just vending at the farmer's market to opening their brick and mortar. What advice would they have for someone looking to expand into a brick and mortar? I, I think having a strong concept is key. You know, although we always kind of jokingly say we should have done a coffee shop because the the restaurant is so, there's so much stress and so many, you know, it's like one disaster after another kind of behind the scenes stuff. And, and we're always like, man, we should have just done a coffee shop. <laughs> People love coffee. They'll pay money for coffee, you know, but, but yeah, I, th- I think having a strong uh, concept that, that makes you stand out from other people that especially kind of with the, the modern movement of you know, people are a lot more eager to seek out that unique local flair type of business. A unique experience, mm-hmm. different food. So figure out a way to provide that unique experience. And that's what's done really well for us is having a menu that doesn't exist at other restaurants in town. So, But that transition from, so you started at the downtown. How many years ago was that, that you started at the downtown oh, farmers geez, market? I, I think this last summer, I think this coming summer will be our I think is going to be our 12th summer, 11th or 12th at the downtown farmers mm-hmm. market. And you guys still set up at the downtown. Yeah. Farmers yeah. Market. We, we sell one thing. We sell fresh mint limeade and that's Do what you know how long it takes to get some of your fresh mint limeade at the farmer's market. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a really long time. Yeah, the line is thirty person. It's line. so worth it. But every, I always want to go and I always want to get some limeade and the line is just like down the block. Well, that's well, a good thing though. It's a great right? thing. That, uh, I mean, it just shows how, delicious it is the funny part is is that we've had people wait in that long long line mm-hmm. and get to the front and be like so what do you sell oh my <laughs> like, gosh are you serious they just saw the lines and they hopped in yeah it teaches you a lot about the psychology of people as soon as How they see a line they're like it must be good so wow. but to answer your question i think 
one thing for transition is knowing like there's a lot of resources locally out here. And um, one of them was the Women's Business Center. And they'll sit down with you and help you write a business plan. They'll help you look for funding. I mean, it's amazing what they can do for They'll help even us guys out or. Yeah. Or, yeah. Know. And um, they, yeah, you don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be a woman. Title, Usually but. they're like, if there's one woman in your company, you know, but they'll, they'll help anybody. I mean, they're here to just help the community and help businesses grow. So that was a big thing. And we went to them and they helped us. Um, my background's in entrepreneurship. So I knew how to write business plans because that's what I had to do for school. But she really helped us get it in the format of, hey, this is what a funding like local funding is going to want to see. And this is how you do it very precise and just straight to the point. And then there's also Utah microloan fund that will give, when we were looking, they would give up to 25,000. I think they've increased that since then. I think I heard they increased it possibly. Um, And then there's also economic development for Salt Lake city that is looking to give out funds. And it's part of the community reinvestment act. So banks actually contribute money back into the community as part of that act and so that they look for local businesses to help. So I think just knowing what resources to go to is a big, big step because they can help you and you don't have to do it alone. Now, whose idea was it to even start this whole thing? Or <laughs> This crazy guy. What? I would never start a restaurant. Todd, how did that even come about for you? So, you know, we were talking about the, the farmer's market booth and I was, for years, I was trying to figure out a way to, you know, that's a business I started to do until I found an actual job. Basically, I mean, I was I I had left the job I'd been working at for several years, kind of an office job, and I was like, well, summer's coming up. In college, I used to own shaved ice shacks, and I liked I remembered liking being my own boss, and so I was like, well, I, I can just come up with a seasonal thing to kind of get me through the summer while I, you know, apply for things and try to figure out what I'm trying to do, but it. It took off. People liked it. So I kept doing it. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I turn this into like an actual annual income job? You know what I mean? Uh, The farmer's market is only on Saturdays, only in the summertime. Mm -hmm. So it's like 16 days total. It's like two weeks of work all, all said and done, you know? So originally I was, I was looking into bottling the drink, the, the, the lime, the lime, the mint limeade. And I had, I had a couple other flavors. In fact, for two years I was working with a, a food lab in Los Angeles, flying there every month, working with food scientists, developing do, do like flavor development and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's pretty insane. I never knew what, how much technology and science and development goes into creating these, you know, flavor profiles and things like that. How did you even find somebody though that would do that? I, I was looking very specifically. I, I had learned over the years that once you squeeze a lime, and this is kind of one of the secrets why it's so good at the farmer's market, the drink, is once you squeeze that lime, the juice has this really stark, tangy, limey, fresh flavor. But as soon as it's exposed to oxygen, it starts, that flavor starts to decline. So I was like, we need somewhere that we can juice the limes and get it right to the to the plant where we put the recipe together and bottle it right away and so kind of freeze So it doesn't have time that. to oxidize. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. So, so I thought, well, we're not going to be able to do that here. There's just not the facility. So it's just LA was just kind of like the obvious choice where they have tons of produce close to Mexico where the limes come from. You know, they're, they're really into the, the, the healthy food movement is strong there. So it's just, I started looking there and found juicing plant that was 15 minutes away from kind of the, the bottling plant. And so was working on kind of, you know, forming that triangle. And did you ever get any of it bottled? We had, we got the final, product developed. We had bottles, we had labels, we were ready to go. We were doing this uh, process called high pressure pascalization. I didn't want to pasteurize. I didn't want to, to cook the product. Cause you know, that's how you get rid of the bacteria yes. and stuff, but it also affects the flavor of it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it at all if I couldn't replicate my fresh farmer's market drink. So I found this expensive and it wasn't new. I think they've actually been doing it forever, but it's called high pressure pascalization where they put it in container and put it in a tank of water and, and are able to increase the water pressure so greatly that it just obliterates the bacteria. It's like it's like as if they took your bottle to the bottom of the ocean or something like that. Wow. And and just the intense pressure kills all bacteria. But it doesn't change the nutrients, which is yeah, why it doesn't it's affect really cool. the flavor at all. 
And so we were able to lock in that fresh, fresh flavor. And I had been working with this this place. There's not many places that do it. Most people don't want to do it because it costs it costs a lot of money. But uh, they were like one of the only ones doing it. Yeah, at then the time. they were one of the only ones. Now, now there's more that have popped up. But this was back then. So they gave us a call one day and said, "You know what? Sorry, we we've been picked up by we've or we've picked up some really large accounts. I think they've started working with Whole Foods and some other big companies. And it was just me, like this tiny, tiny." almost business, you know, and there's like, we just don't have room. And they were the only place in the United States, at least back then that had the, like I said, I, I needed the, the juicing facility close to the bottling facility and that doing it the way that I wanted it done. And once that fell through, I had always had a restaurant in the back of my head, but I knew I was bottling. So I didn't pay much attention to it. And after two years of working on this bottling thing, I thought I would be crushed and devastated. But when I found out that they were giving us the boot, I felt this Relief. This relief. And the yeah. first thought was like, great, now we can do the restaurant. Now we can do what I actually wanted to do. And even after spending all that money flying down there too, I mean, airplane yeah. tickets aren't cheap yeah. and time. And uh, sometimes we, I'd, I'd find a friend and... to go with me. We drive down. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you guys together at this point? No. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We, Didn't mean to we bring that up. We weren't just <laughs> beginning. I, th- I think we what? met during that process. Yeah, okay. that's right. Okay. And did no, you- I was working at Backcountry and you were working on that. And then, and then the actual brick and mortar place that was, when did that, well, let's actually give the address. So the address for listeners, 54 uh, West, 1700 South, not to be confused with 54th or 5400 West. It's five, four, just West of main street. People confuse that a lot, man. One time a contractor called me. He's like, I'm here. I don't, I don't see it. He's like, I said, where are you? So I'm here 5400 West. I was like, Oh geez. I don't think I've ever been ever even been that far west of this valley. <laughs> you, you should drive out there and put a sign, be like "Sweet Lakes over here." Guys. Yeah. No, so how did that come about? I mean, did you find a location, or were you like, "Let's open a brick and mortar," and then you started looking for a spot, or how did that process work out? Because it seems like a perfect location for you. We knew we wanted to do it, and we look. We actually looked for a location for like Quite a, a year, over a year. Yeah, over a year. There wasn't a lot going on downtown as far as locations and the expense of the buildings were, it was crazy rent downtown. Um, That location actually used to just be dirt. And so um, the guys over at City Home Collective, I don't know if you. Yeah, no, I know. We've actually recorded a handful of podcast episodes there. Some of the early days, they let us use their little basement area to record. So they're great guys, but they helped you out. Yeah, our agent, um, Corgan, she works for them. And then she, um, Paul, the owner, he was building this brand new building on this vacant lot. The owner of, of our building, not of City Home. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the owner of our our location, he wanted to build on this vacant lot. And um, so she connected us with him and we built. And honestly, it was a bit of a risk going to that neighborhood because um, before now, since we've come, it's changed a little bit, but it was crack houses to the east side and oh yeah, that, um, just that, a little bit dingy. <laughs> what they're doing with that area, we were actually just driving by, I want to say yesterday. Yeah, and I was like, was. I cannot wait until these apartments come here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got you got the uh, the Friar Tuck Barbershop, Kylie over there. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know her yeah. or not. I mean, it's she's, exciting. Like yeah. that whole area is starting to really boom mm-hmm. and yeah. become completely rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. And that's why you were mentioning, you know, trying to get downtown. I'm like, ah, downtown's overrated. Mm-hmm. You know, let's start, let's start spreading some of that love outside of downtown. Right. So we can have just awesome places all over. On that note, though, let's take a break. We need to play some messages here from our sponsors. And then I want to get into like your menu and, and all of that and, and find out more of that story. So hang tight. We'll chat about that when we when we come back. All right. It's that time of the podcast where we take just a couple minutes of your time, tell you about our awesome sponsors. Now, remember, when you support one of our sponsors, you are supporting this podcast So pay attention here, guys. Hey, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by the very local, the very delicious, the very tasty, and the very awesome Five Wives Vodka. The next time you head on over to the state liquor store, pick up a bottle of Five Wives Vodka. The next time you head on over to your local bar, ask for Five Wives Vodka by name. I think we need to make this the official drink of I Am Salt Lake. Oh, for sure. I I just picked up a bottle a couple of days ago. I think we've talked about that on this podcast, how we want to make it the official drink of I Am Salt Lake. Hey, they have three different flavors we're going to tell you about here, guys. They have the original Five Wives Vodka. This is the one that you hear about made from Utah Mountain Spring Water. It's 100% distilled corn spirit and it's gluten free. 
The spring is hidden in beautiful Ogden Canyon. It's inaccessible by vehicle, so they're hiking this water out five gallons at a time. If you like a little more punch to your vodka, you can check out Five Wives Sinful. It's a flavored vodka with a delicious cinnamon taste. And it's not like other cinnamon products that leave a cinnamon candy taste in your mouth. Sinful is like a morning cinnamon roll, and it only has 76 calories per ounce. They also have the Five Wives Heavenly. This is another one of their flavored vodka with a delicious vanilla taste. Heavenly's rich, buttery vanilla flavor. It comes through without coating your taste buds with sugar, and this results in more vanilla and less calories. Hey, I'm going to give you their website, fivewivesvodka.com. Go check it out if you want to find out more about it. You probably don't need to, though. Just head on over to the state liquor store, pick up a bottle or two. Also, make sure to ask for it by name at your uh, local bar. And many thanks to Five Wise Vodka for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. All right, this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Wizarding Days, which is actually happening this upcoming weekend, February 22nd and February 23rd at the Mountain America Expo Center. Wizarding Days is an interactive fantasy event with roving actors, magical sets, crafts, and activities, nonstop entertainment, and classes by artisans and professionals. This year, Wizarding Days is excited to bring the Arthurian legend Camelot to life. They have a new Camelot theme with a throne room, a round table, a sword in the stone, and a giant wish dragon that you can walk through. And this is fun for all ages. Wizarding Days brings your favorite books to life. Tickets are on sale now at wizardingdayswithaz.com. Some things to remember. Kids 5 and under are free. Ages 6 to 12 are just $5. Tickets are on sale now, of course. They are cheaper if you buy them in advance. But if you are listening to this, like say it's Friday, right? And it's the 22nd and you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to buy a ticket. You can buy them at the door. Again, it's happening this upcoming weekend, February 22nd and 23rd at the Mountain America Expo Center. Their website, wizardingdays.com, that's days with a Z, and it is a tongue twister of a uh, of a name. Wizardingdays.com is where you can go buy your tickets, find out more about it, find out about all the entertainment, the classes. This is going to be an amazing event for Salt Lake City. And as, as always, many thanks to Wizarding Days for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by our friends at The Melting Pot. The Melting Pot is locally owned and operated. They're located right downtown Salt Lake City on the corner of Market in Maine. Listen, if you want to experience unique tableside dining with friends, with family, or maybe you have an intimate date night like Christina and I like to enjoy every so often when we get a babysitter. And when we do get a date night and get to go to the Melting Pot, the food is always wonderful. The atmosphere is fantastic. And the servers are always really knowledgeable and helpful, helping us find food within either our dietary restrictions or something that we just enjoy. Remember, if you're riding tracks, you're going to want to take the Gallivan Center drop. That way you can find the Melting Pot. Again, they're located at Market in Maine. This is a perfect place to go if you're heading downtown for maybe a jazz game. Oh my gosh, you guys. The Melting Pot is located 340 South Main Street. Remember, book your fondue experience today. And many thanks to The Melting Pot for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Now, there was one more. I want to talk about your menu here. Like I said, before we went on break, I want to get into the menu, especially for people that have never been. Uh, Like I say, a lot of people that listen are moving to Salt Lake. Maybe they'll want to come and get some of your biscuits. But there was a question. I want to make sure I ask this. Zach Martinez, he does Zach's Works. I don't know if you guys are familiar with any of his leather work uh, stuff that he does. He sells them at the... I I can... I picture his logo. I can uh, picture his sign or something. Great guy. Longtime listener of the show. Anyway, he wants to... He says, I'm curious about what happened with the other half of their building, Originally, it looked like it was going to be a separate business called the dispensary, but now they've just expanded throughout the whole building, which is great. So I don't know what that's all about, but I figured I'd throw it out there uh, to make sure. I don't know. What, what, what do you know about that or what? Yeah. The dispensary was a small restaurant that opened for a little bit and then just closed the doors for whatever reason. And we were we were eager. We, we were offered the entire building when we very first signed the lease and we we wanted to mitigate risk and we thought, well, it might be too big for us. We weren't really sure how many, you know, diners we'd have coming in. So we took part of it. After a couple of years, I mean, it's gotten to where on you know, on a weekend we get pretty busy and we don't have enough tables. And so we were 
glad to be able to just expand. We have a second little dining room over there and a little prep kitchen. Oh, very cool. Especially in the winter when we lose our patio to the cold weather, um, we have somewhere to put people and not have such a long wait on the weekends. Does that cold weather really affect traffic at all? Because you were mentioning patio and stuff. I guess, you know, that's a big thing for brunch. I guess go hang out on the patio. Or- yeah, we definitely notice when it snows, there's like a downtick in sales like, oh. for sure. People just aren't driving. Sure. Yeah, people don't want to leave their homes, Mm-mm. you know, let's, sadly. Let's talk about the menu. What's what's on the menu for, for people that have never visited? Visited. Well, it's called Sweet Lake Biscuits and Limeade. So it's it's based around our house-made biscuit. We took a lot of time and energy to to really dial in the recipe for our biscuits and our gravies and stuff. And uh, so it's a lot of it is biscuit sandwiches. The Haas, which is kind of the flagship plate over at Sweet Lake, is biscuit with fried chicken, uh, melted cheddar cheese, bacon, fried egg, and gravy. And so it's kind of like a, a big old hearty breakfast sandwich. Sounds good. It'll keep you full for lunch. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. The way, the way you described it just sounds. Now you guys are only open till like two 30, right? We close at 3 PM on the weekdays and 4 PM on the weekends. Now, why did you decide to go that route? You know, honestly, we are a biscuit place yeah. or breakfast base. We, we've thought about and toyed with a little bit in the past doing dinner, but we're kind of sticking to what we know we're good at and what people like. We'd, as the neighborhood grows, we talk about developing a dinner and doing it down the road as, as like we were saying, that part of town is kind of growing and there's more businesses and, and people moving in. So maybe down the road, but for now we like doing breakfast and lunch. And then also, you know, the restaurants, the restaurant industry is a tough industry. And if we can close at night just means less emergencies and disasters that we have to deal with. Sure, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. when we first started, we wanted to have a life too. So we're like, well, let's just close it. And do you have a life? Do you feel like you have a life still? We, we gained it back, that's for sure. After the first year, we hired a manager, and he's awesome, and he's taking care of the place, and it allows us more time to work on the business rather in, than in the business. I'm sure that's still stressful, though, right? The first time you left the building and you're like, oh, my gosh, we're not there, but it's open. Like <laughs> You're just hoping that everything's being run okay and efficiently. Yeah, we gained over the years. We, our manager's been with us almost two years in February, and we gained a lot of trust that he can handle problems. And But I'll tell you what, you can never clock out mentally. Yeah. It is. It's a, we're always thinking about it. What can we make better? Um, how do we grow it? You know, we're working from home. I'm doing the payroll and all the kind of office side of the thing of and the accounting and and then he's doing marketing. And how many employees do you have? Uh, usually around like 22. Oh, wow. Depending on so you decent, who's hiring decent and firing. And <laughs> yeah. Was that tough to fire your first person? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's firing sucks. That, that, I mean, now we have a general manager who we're able to hand that over to him and we, and he's developed a hierarchy. So there's different managers in front of house and back of house. And you're like, you, you take there And they're good at it. So yeah. they're good at it. We're not, we're too nice. We, I, th- I think we both bring really strong backgrounds to this business, but, but employee management isn't one of them. And so we hired someone that was good at that. And we recognized that pretty quickly. I mean, they thought we were their friends. And so we're like, oh, this isn't really going to work out because we're your boss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like a really tough balance Mm -hmm. because you do want to make them feel like they're part of a family and you want to be, you want them to be excited to work for you. But at the same time, employees can start to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Well, now with management that we've been talking about, they are really good at that. And now our staff really is much more family like and does have that family feel. And we have people who who come and work and stick around for a long time and that they become friends with each other and hang out, you know, outside of work. And we do we just had a an employee party last week where we all went and went to the pie pizza and everyone came and it was it's cool. It's fun it's fun to have that kind of it's not just employees as you know, you can tell there's there's human relationships that come out of it. Yeah, and create our own little community out of it. What do you guys know now that you wished you would have known in the beginning? Let's go and let's do the beginning of, of the actual brick and mortar place. Like one or two things. I don't know. Just anything that comes to mind, I guess. Go Looking back, we wish we would have, we built that place out ourselves. We were our own general contractor. We made our own architect plans and we learned a lot. So, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I mean, we learned so much that you can't really say, I wish we wouldn't have done that. But it did take us a long time that had we opened sooner, we could have just been making more money, even having hired out all the professionals. So I think knowing where you're, what you're good at and sticking to what you 
have knowledge on and then hiring out the rest to professionals kind of helps save you in the long run. We had to guess a lot of things when we were building the place and guess how much kitchen space we were going to need and exactly what size of equipment. You know, it was our first time doing this. Uh, so we didn't have history to base anything on. We knew how to make limeades. We were adding a food menu, which we hadn't done before. So we, we bought a lot of the wrong sized equipment in the, in the beginning days. Yeah. <laughs> and so now our kitchen is almost completely uh, new or replaced equipment with things that help us just help, help workflow so much easier and helps our staff be able to do their jobs so much more efficiently. And, and, you know, a lot of stuff that we had to learn by doing it and we wouldn't have been able to guess otherwise. But I would say that knowledge is invaluable going forward, having to do it from scratch. Do you guys ever plan on opening more locations? Yeah, we're, we're, we're always looking and, and open to it. We've, we've found some, we've had a lot of, we've actually had a lot of people come to us and say, we want, we want you to do one. We love your place. We want you to do one in this new development or, or whatever. We're just so particular and picky about stuff like that, that we've just kind of haven't really landed on, landed on the place, but we're always, we always have our feelers out. We have uh, real estate agents kind of always throwing us, you know, ideas and, and we do plan to expand, but no official announcements yet. Yeah. Yeah. This this one keeps you busy enough, right? Right. And now that we hit the two year mark, banks really don't want to look at you for a loan until Mm -hmm. you've hit like your two year business. Especially restaurants. Yeah. I guess because restaurants are one of the the highest risk industries besides real estate for sure. And Mm -hmm. if you, yeah, like you said, if you're under two years, nobody wants to loan to you. Well, there's so many restaurants in Salt Lake that open and disappear. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I swear they were just there, right? What happened to them? (laughs) Oh, it's, I mean, it's funny when we were building this, this out in the beginning, people say, well, what do you, what do you do? We, we'd answer, well, you know, we're building a restaurant. We're going to open a restaurant and everyone, first thing, do you have any idea of the failure rate of restaurants? Yes, we've heard it. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we do, we weren't going in completely blind, but, uh, people tried so often to dissuade us from doing and it. Why, why do people do that? That's what I don't understand. Well, Instead of giving you like, hey, a high five, it let's stemmed from their own down. fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm just concerned. fear-based. Like they just... So how did you get past that then? Just didn't listen? I mean, I was scared <laughs> shitless for sure. Like we have to make this work. We're putting all of our money into this. We self-funded the first time around. So we were really putting everything we had into this. Um, I think knowing that you have a strong following from already have having done the limeade helped a lot mitigate some of that risk. Um, we had some level of confidence in our product that we already knew people loved and, uh-huh. and were passionate about. So we weren't going in completely just like doused you, in risk. You already built kind of an identity and a following, which mm-hmm. is right. really great. Not a lot of restaurants are able to do that. Yeah. So it helped mitigate because we already did have people that knew us. And then also knowing that you're going to have a product that's awesome that people are going to like. And I think having a really strong concept and knowing that it's a strong concept, because we've had a million ideas and then we're like, that was a dumb idea. We're not going to do that. It's like 10% you know? are good. Yeah. How did, so do you we them you guys have background in baking? I mean, how did you even think of biscuits and how did you narrow down the, the recipe for biscuits? The biscuits come from uh, before the show we were chatting about, you said, what's the smell of your childhood? Your childhood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I come from a big family. We lived out in the country in Texas. And the the thing I remember eating most that my mom would make for us would be biscuit casseroles of all types. And a, and okay, what's a biscuit casserole? Yeah, First that's of usually, all. That's usually the next question. <laughs> it's a casserole breaded in biscuits. Sounds delicious. It, it's, it's biscuits laid in the casserole dish. And then pretty much you can add whatever you want. It's usually like a can of cream, a mushroom soup, and then veggies and cheese. Or, But yeah. I mean, it could be anything, you know? It's, mm-hmm. And you bake and it comes out and they're delicious. And I just remember loving that as a kid. And so in developing the menu, I, I spent a year on that menu with, you know, cross adding things, crossing stuff off. And did you ever just call your mom and ask for her recipe? No, she didn't have a recipe. She used the pop, the pop cans. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like a secret family okay. recipe. I had to come okay. up with my own biscuit recipe, but I knew I wanted to do biscuits, but I knew I wanted them to be the best and to be delicious and amazing. I, I wasn't going to just do biscuits just to do them. And that's kind of how we approach everything on the menu. It's like, if we're going to do this, it has to be awesome. You know, it has to be delicious. It has to be something that people will crave and want because otherwise we're going to be bland and mediocre and no one's going to come and we're going to declare bankruptcy. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like survival mode. You yeah. know, it's like, this better be 
really awesome. And uh, so worked on worked on the recipes. Um, had a, a f- uh, the brother of a close friend of mine come to me say, "I heard you're doing a biscuit restaurant." I said, "Yeah, I'm working on it." He said, "My I lived in South Carolina for a couple of years, and then and I." developed a passion for making biscuits and gravy. And I've spent a lot of time doing it. I'd love to come work with you. So uh, his name was Jeff. We called him Chef Jeff. He, he was great in the kitchen and he he helped us better our uh, recipes and everything in our view turned out great uh, recipe wise. And yeah, what was the question? <laughs> What's a biscuit casserole? <laughs> well, it was a biscuit casserole. <laughs> and, and, and what made you decide to go the route of biscuits? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so the, the, the menu is really kind of a journal from my life. I feel like a lot of the dishes I based on personal experiences. We have a, a Cuban sandwich that I did in memory of, of a trip. Some friends and I went uh, during college to Cuba and came back and had this these great stories and memories. And so I turned it into a, a, a dish. Uh, our pancakes, we call them the conspiracy cakes. They are Terry's mom's. Recipe, recipe of grinding your own wheat. We grind our own wheat at the restaurant to make the flour, to make the pancakes. And they're yeah, they're unique are. and unlike any pancake that anyone has really had. It's kind of like a unique version of a pancake. Yeah, they're not your traditional white, fluffy, just quick, easy yeah, pancake. Mm-hmm. They're delicious. They're, yeah, they're delicious. And I grew up on those pancakes and I said we have to have these on the menu because that's what I want to eat when I go in. So yeah. you've kind of incorporated both of yours kind of childhood mm-hmm. and memories into mm-hmm. the into the um the menu. Yeah, right? it, it, that's it, cool. Doing it that way really it connects you more to your business. It's not just like I am a business owner and I am a yeah. business person. It's like these are this is the story of our lives and this is these dishes mean something. They come from somewhere, you know and. And I'm, pro- I'm sure it probably makes you really focus on the quality of the food and you're really passionate about it because you're, you're, you want to pass on the experience that you had to other people. Right. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about often, or maybe you do, gluten-free biscuits? Do you do that or is that we, kind of a joke we, in your... No, <laughs> we no act, I don't We know. actually, in the beginning, we did do it. Really? Uh, uh, we, it Just was called Spoon Red no? and it was cor- a cornmeal-based bread biscuit type thing. But honestly, we just, they were really labor intensive and we mm-hmm. hardly, we didn't sell very many. So it was, it, they ended up almost not being worth the time to put all of these man hours into making them. They took a lot longer than the biscuits did. And, and there's flour flying all over that place already. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. a little bit hard to not have the cross contamination of flour in the air. So know. yeah, just, I, I know we have, we should, we should few. get together and work on a keto biscuit. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, yeah. I'm like really, I get really excited. I don't eat keto, but I like to bake keto. Yeah. She does that for me. Cause I started uh, eating keto a year ago. And then obviously there's a lot of gluten-free part aspects of that. And that's what I was wondering, you know, maybe you do. How can we get Chris to eat your food? Is well, basically I just need a big slab of meat. Is you know, well, our was... gravy is gluten-free. Really? Actually, we, we don't use flour. We use a, Secret ingredient that's secret, probably not that uncommon. The Haas, gravies, the Haas a, ingredient, but, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, on the menu, I wanted to have a lot of healthy, hearty salads. Yeah. So we incorporated that so that people that want to go and just have like a really good salad can do that. And Yeah, our salads are awesome. They have We have a steak, of one called the Viet Man, which is has steak on it. It's kind of an Asian-inspired uh, steak salad. We have the Utah Cobb, we call it, which has the fried chicken breast on it. I mean, Ruby I mean, summer with grilled chicken and um, grapefruit and jicama. almonds and Parmesan and jicama. And mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you're making me hungry now, guys. Are you, you we're going to go over after though, right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm Post party at Sweet now, Do you guys have alcohol there or anything kind of booze? Yeah, we oh, recently really got a beer and, uh, and wine license. Really? So we can do mimosas. We don't, we can't do like vodka or tequila or anything, but we, we do a uh, beery bloody Marys and some, some other beer cocktails we've come up with. And it's a uh, fresh raspberry orange mimosa. That is probably our, our number one seller and we sell a, a couple of Uinta beers. We sell cutthroat and 801. Yeah. I was just curious, you know, I mean, you know, go get a mimosa. Yeah. On there it. is a high demand, especially for Saturdays and Sundays for, for people going to brunch. We're like, we're not going to come if you can't give us alcohol. So, <laughs> so we're like, okay, this is a recent thing that you got your, your alcohol I mean, or, or about six months. Okay. Or, so did you notice probably February? So did you notice quite an, like an impact that that did for business? Yeah. Did, a little bit. Help? We, we don't sell a ton of it because we close after lunch. We don't, you know, I think if we did dinner, probably people are more used to drinking at dinner hours. So it's, but I think people looking to get, you know, that morning 
kind of punch in there. Come. Yeah. That didn't used to because they wanted to go somewhere that had alcohol. Mm-hmm. What uh, was it? <laughs> I always hear challenges right here in Utah to get liquor licenses. And I know you don't want to talk garbage because they listen, right? And they, you don't, you don't want to have, I'm kidding. What, was there anything challenging about getting a liquor license that, uh, or, advi- only, or advice that you would give somebody? Yeah. Our license, the only challenge is filling out the application. It's a long, I think they asked for like, I think there's a 15 point checklist of 15 different things you have to get, including permits from the city or permissions from the city. And then other things get floor plans drawn up. As far as, the, the, the challenging, one of the bigger challenges I think is for club licenses that have a full bar, uh, like all the shots and uh-huh. how do you, yeah, know, I think they, that, that one, they measure. limit how many they give, but they don't, there's no limit on how many restaurant licenses, like beer and wine licenses. The, the, there's restrictions. You can't be within a hundred feet of a school or a park or th- things like that. And then you have to be careful that you're not, you know, you either have to have what they call the Zion curtain, which is like a wall blocking yeah. the, mm-hmm. the view of the preparation or um, you can't serve if you don't have that. You can't serve alcohol within t- ten feet of where it's prepared. And now, can twenty-one and under still come into Sweet Lake? Though you don't have yeah. that kind of license. There are there are two. We have a couple tables that we can't seat. I got you. under twenty-one. I got you. But, and, I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot or make any kind of. I was just curious. Well, it's just good to know. know, like if we wanted to go and take Lucy, yeah, could we come? Yeah, because there's been a few you know? places that I've gone around town, and you don't realize it. And then you go there with a baby or somebody that's five or six years old and you can't, can't bring them in. in. Yeah. yeah, no, no we're, we're almost too kid friendly. Too kid friendly. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, no, get, I, we get Yelp reviews that's, that complain <laughs> that there's too many kids in there. You've gotten bad reviews because yeah, of it. Because. Dude, Yelp can eat a... I don't like Yelp. I think Yelp, yeah. Yelp is the worst thing to happen to mom and pop businesses. The way they mess with... I uh, mean, yes. for us, it's actually been a good thing. Really? So we've seen the other perspective. I mean, like, yeah, in the beginning, I used to cry in the closet because people would be so ruthless and they don't realize that there's a face behind this business it's, mm-hmm. and they'd just be heartless. And, um, but that was in the beginning. We fixed a lot of our kinks right away. And actually now Yelp helps us a lot to drive traffic and business really? because people that are coming from out of town don't know where to go. And that is a platform for them to find. And luckily like now our reviews are 4.5 stars or, or higher on Yelp. And, they can see, That's oh, good. this yeah. place is going to mm-hmm. be good. And so we actually spend good marketing dollars with Yelp because they send us a lot of out-of-town out business. And we've had people from the South come and be like, your biscuits are the best I've ever had. And they're coming from the South. And so the only way that they found about found out about us, I mean, they don't know anyone here, is with the Yelp platform. So it has its plus and minuses because yeah. sometimes people can just tear into you and it can really hurt your business. But if you're quick to, well, that's on any review site changes. really right. could really affect it. I mean, right. whether it's a Facebook review, a Yelp review, I don't know what other kind of, what other trip food? advisor. What trip advisor. Look at? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Google. Yeah. yeah and if you asked me at the beginning when we first opened, I probably would have had a different opinion, but yeah. now it's really, really. I've just heard some business. horror stories from local oh, yeah. mom and pop restaurants mm-hmm. yeah. that Yelp really holds a lot over people's heads. And Well, and people can go I mean, say I untrue really go, things. I could too. really go down, down into a deep hole of this. I've, I've it, talked to a few Yelp people I've though, had, that go out of their way to leave bad reviews just mm-hmm. to get a free meal we've noticed um (laughs) we've noticed people that have owned other local businesses that had come and left us a bad review really just because maybe they were threatened by yeah a new competitor opening which which is so tough because anyone can leave reviews people who have no experience with you can leave reviews and that's kind of a it's the good and the bad yeah That that kind of leads me into a question that we ask really everybody that comes on the podcast, uh, being a Salt Lake City based podcast. I'm always curious what people would like if somebody was visiting Salt Lake City this upcoming weekend, what would you tell them to do or check out besides go to Sweet Lake? Obviously, is there an area of town or a business or a building? We've been going a lot to the daily to get uh, breakfast. It's the it's a pretty new place on what is it Main Street? Okay, two 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 South. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Right downtown, kind of. It's yeah. in it's the, part of the it's Wells in the Fargo Copper Onion family. Building. It's pretty of good. The huh? Copper kitchens and commons and onions and, <laughs> but we love it. We we've gotten several things there and and uh, have loved eating there and they have great coffee and. 
And we found out recently one of our friends does like a tour of Salt Lake that we've been wanting to sign up and do. Maybe you can speak to that more. I, I haven't done it yet, so I don't know. And I can't remember exactly what it what is, doesn't it take it like to secret spots, secret historical spots or something. Wait, so this remember. is a, a friend of yours offers tours? Yeah, on Airbnb they they oh, do yeah, yeah, uh, they yeah, do yeah, like yeah. something called like trips or something. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Where you can, and and he has it up there on there. Yeah, or, yeah, or she, he, whatever. Yeah, we haven't we haven't done it, so I don't. I don't. Really yeah, know yeah, yeah. It. No, that's cool though. You know, so check. But it out. yeah, just to see the Gilgal's Garden is yeah. something that's really unique to Utah. Hidden treasures yeah. of Salt Lake. That's cool. And um, I like the the Japanese Garden out in West Valley. Yeah, the the the, the, the peace garden. The international the peace, peace garden. Yeah, yeah. The peace gardens. And that's actually a really cool thing. I'd never even heard about it until last yeah. year. A lot of people, yeah, even me growing up here, I didn't know about it. And then we just, we've been taking our dog a few times now and it's really cool. They have really cool sculptures. And one thing we love to do in the winter when the air is so bad is just get out up into the canyon and um, go to the day spa at Snowbird Cliff Lodge and you just pay idea. for the day spa. That's actually the second time someone's recommended that. Yeah. We, we need to go. It's a we best kept secret. Now it's getting out too. So it's crowded on weekends. You have to go on a weekday. And Oh, does it get pretty bad up there? Yeah. on uh, If you go on a Saturday or Sunday, it's, the word's out. It's pretty crowded mm. up there, but it's really nice to get out of the inversion and sit in the eucalyptus steam room that they have. In the that sounds wonderful. And, have a beautiful scenery up there. So what would you change about Salt Lake City if you could change something? And I know that's a big question. The air quality, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah, the air the air issue is bad. It's nice to hear this year for the first time I've ever heard the governor bring it up saying that they're putting like a hundred million dollars into finding ways to clean up the air really? this year. Or I miss like that. that. Yeah. I, I don't like to listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, they've they've had the downtown rising. I don't know if they still call it that initiative for a while, trying to build up downtown to be like a cool, more exciting, walkable area. And I think I think Salt Lake would do really well if they could achieve that. As it is now, downtown feels like it kind of empties on the weekends. And oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. You know, and it's, it'd be nice if they could. You know, you go to a place. I like to think of Boise, Idaho. I feel like it has some similar similarities to Salt Lake, and it's kind of maybe within the same size. Yeah. And they have a killer walking downtown, where they shut off the streets for the Saturday farmers market, and they, you know, they have restaurants and nightlife all just close. And I, I always think, why can't Salt Lake? Why is it that we can't achieve that? And what are we doing wrong? I think a lot of it has to do with some of the laws regarding alcohol and things like that. That. You know, I don't know. But. I think it's the, the, the alcohol laws obviously impact it. But I think I really think a lot of it, believe it or not, is our wide blocks. I think our wide blocks mm-hmm. are actually a detriment. And somehow we need to figure it out. And I know they've laid things out on some of the wider blocks to use the middle area to turn it into kind of an, a, another type. I just don't know if we have a wide enough block to turn to do much more. I don't yeah. know what we would do because... It's just so much walking in between yeah, blocks. True. That yeah, just, you say it's three blocks away, but that's like really far away. Yeah, right. yeah. our blocks are much different. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of the layout that we're stuck with, I guess, huh? Yeah. So. I would say it's hard when local government government is calling pornography yeah. like a, a crisis. And the biggest it, health epi- yeah. epidemic. <laughs> yeah. And ignoring <laughs> air quality where children can literally not go out for recess because it's so bad. Well, yes. And it's worse than Here's, China certain days. So What would we what, what do you do? I mean, the only thing I could think of is to make it illegal to drive a car and take public transportation. I don't know. I think they could do better on public yeah. transportation, making it easier. Well, I saw a comment from somebody. It might have even been a listener of this podcast, but somebody said uh, public transportation, it's still quicker to get places in a car versus oh, yeah. public transportation versus a lot of other cities. It's almost quicker to take public transportation places. Yeah. And the cost of it. Is and the still- cost of it mm-hmm. is is a well, lot better. I mean, I've thought about taking public transportation to work because the front runner line gets off right at my office. But it's still just as expensive as driving, and it's more of a hassle. And so I just don't have more time. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pain in the butt. Now, Mm -hmm. Haas, you're in a band as well. I I, I'm not sure if we got that in the beginning. Hectic Hobo, which you were on episode ten. Don't (laughs) don't listen to that one. That that episode, the quality was so. What episode is this? Oh, this will be like three hundred and sixty-nine, three seventy, somewhere in that that where, but. What what I mean, just really quick here. While we have a couple of minutes, I just want to want to give you that uh, that uh, that spotlight for a second. 
you mentioned you're recording some music or do you want to talk about that? Or is that top we, secret? No, no, no. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, we are celebrating 10 years as a band, wow. Hector Hobo in Salt Lake City. And uh, we are recording. We are just finishing up recording our fifth record, third studio record. The first two we recorded at home with a microphone and a laptop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're really excited for it. Very cool. And then, I mean, obviously you're playing shows out around the city from time to time. And I mean, because somebody might listen to this episode in a year, two years. I mean, the best place to find out about upcoming shows would be where? Where would that be? Probably Facebook and our Instagram okay. account. We post stuff. I mean, we don't have a website. Uh, Why not? We we had one before. I mean, in fact, it's probably still up there. I bet there is a hectichobo.com. I'm not sure, but we just never used it. it. We we never were able to harness it to be a strong tool for us. It was more people were just, people seemed to respond better out just to the social media sites. So we just kind of. And what if Facebook closes down, Haas? <laughs> what do you do then? You know, Instagram. I think the world would be a better place if oh, Facebook closed down. Probably yeah. would be. Tell me about it. I think it, people on Facebook are angry. That's yeah. all it is anymore. Angry and mean. Yeah. yeah. And nothing's real. Yeah. Nothing. yeah also, that's true. <laughs> I like, I like, it's all yeah, fake. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> so awesome. Hectic Hobo. It's, um, I like, have you, you probably haven't even had a chance to listen to me yet. Have you? I, I actually haven't. I really like it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not that terrible. <laughs> I got a sneak peek preview of the album this morning. It's pretty good. Um, it's awesome. And it's different than some of their past albums. It's, it's all, a little bit more, what would you say? Slow, methodical. Really? Not yeah, when does it come out? When are you releasing? Uh, probably in a couple months or something. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's, it's just, it hasn't been mastered yet. It's still, you know, I'm just barely finished recording the last, the last shaker track, you know? So. <laughs> Here's a question for our listeners of I Am Salt Lake. How do you consume music? We were talking about this before, uh, I think before we were recording, uh, like, do you release it on a CD or do you release it, you know, only, only on uh, iTunes or something like that. And I'd be curious listeners of this podcast, how you consume music. Why not? Yeah. Right. Cause if I know me, songs I, or an album, I don't do even have a CD player. My laptop doesn't even have a CD drive. Mm -hmm. And so I can't even listen to CDs anymore. Right. So how do you consume music? Maybe let Haas know, reach out to him. Uh, I, I, I think I mostly use Spotify yeah. and I watch uh, YouTube videos. Yeah, so yeah. I like like the NPR tiny desk shows but and I like Spotify, music videos. And I heard Spotify kind of screws bands. They don't really pay out very well. Right. Honestly. Or you don't really care. No, no it's not. That I don't care. It's just, they're not doing, I, I feel like it's not just Spotify. It's any of the platforms don't really pay artists. They, they pay 0. 0.00001 cent per, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's unless you're a large famous national band, at least that I've seen, you're not, you know, we'll get, we'll get a Spotify deposit and it's, 76 cents or two dollars and 42 cents or you know it's like it takes a lot of plays to make a dollar on spotify so i mean musicians really get and uh, i mean i need to bring you back through here uh just as a as a complete hectic hobo uh episode but i mean musicians really don't they get kind of screwed so i think as listeners maybe i mean what would be a good way for listeners of this show to even just say support any local bands what would be a good way do you think yeah, I think going to live shows and buying buying music, merch, you know, it takes it takes a lot of time and effort to develop the skills to write the songs, to perform the songs, to record them onto a CD, and it's you know it's like ten bucks for all that energy to, to me sounds like a steal. But, but also, I was just thinking about this recently with the restaurant. Speaking of Spotify and things mm -hmm. like that, is we as as a business that plays music owned by other people, people we have to pay. ASCAP fees, which is music publishing uh, fees in order to have the right to play that music over your, over your overhead mm -hmm. speakers. Really. Yeah. You can't just go plug in your own little playlist. And I mean, a lot of places do that. Technically it's, it's illegal, but we, we use a platform called Rockbot that mixes playlists for us and we pay them and then they in turn pay our ASCAP fees. And so every time that an artist is played in our dining room, they're supposedly making money. Like we said, it's very, you know, however many cents or whatever. Yeah, sure. But I went through this week, made a list of local bands and realized that, and it, it doesn't come out of like, it doesn't cost me more. You know, I'm just paying my flat fee, whatever that is. So it doesn't, it's not going to cost me more if I play more songs or anything like that. So I realized I could be playing a bunch of local bands and 
funneling money their way that's paid through everyone in America paying ASCAP fees. And so I just went hmm. through and added a bunch of local music on as a something that hadn't occurred to me previously as a way to support local musicians. This is what I would do. And, and do you ever do this is, is put on like a hectic hobo CD and then see what maybe the people in, no. the, in the dining room and they start <laughs> no, talking. I, don't, I, don't, I would be, too, this, I'd be too embarrassed. He, he doesn't even tell our employees that he's part of a band. Really? He doesn't want them to come I'm sure, up and be I'm like, sure some of them know though. They, they know, yeah, they, but yeah, they find out. It, it, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird dynamic. You don't, the, the cooler they think you are, the harder it is to like be their boss. And so I try to like not let them. That makes sense. You know? That's totally fair. So you're not going to let them listen to this episode then? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I'm I don't kidding. I don't go out of my way to block it, but I'm just like, I just don't bring it up sometimes. And I was going to say on the music consumption question, KRCL is all we listen to yeah, in the car. True. They play a lot of really good local music and highlight. Now, could you play band. KRCL over your overhead speaker? But I guess that wouldn't really work for legalities or how does that work? Or would it not benefit the bands quite as much? Well, KRCL, I'm sure, is paying... Uh, they're the, paying their, ASCAP fees. Their fees too. So yeah, I don't know. How, uh, I don't know how it would work to play a community radio station. Well, I, uh, I don't know. I've never looked into that. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, true. That's you, true. Then you yell the commercials. Well, yeah. I mean, technically, KRCL doesn't have commercials, but they do have the breaks. What they call it, community announcements. Oh yeah, yeah. They have they have like underwriters <laughs> or, or or all the donators Sponsors. and stuff. But uh, what an interesting part of restaurant ownership that I've never even thought about. No, this like, is this. I didn't even know this was a thing. This is what this I love crazy. about Neither podcasts. Did we. <laughs> Neither did we. we didn't really think you about find out a lot of new stuff, and then <laughs> no. Po- well, that's what I love about podcasts is you can find out usually stuff you don't know about on a daily thing, you know, of, of what you hear about in the news or in, in the newspaper and, and just have a real conversation. I've had a heck of a time having you guys here. I mean, we could go on all day. Uh, we'll just have to bring you back through. I don't know. Was there anything that we didn't talk about that you guys wish we would have talked about? Or, I mean, I know we could go more in depth, but I mean, I think we got a good skimming the surface on everything. Yeah, no, I think we did good. Uh, Yeah, I would say um, for those people looking to expand their business, it does seem intimidating, but like we said, there's a lot of resources out there to help you. And the reward is awesome because being part of the community, I mean, even though the line of work we chose is really hard and, you know, you put in a lot of effort, it's worth the payoff and being part of the community is really I'm cool. sure it is, yeah. Having people go, oh, you own Sweet Lake Biscuits and Limeade. Like, we love that place. And knowing that you made something cooler in Salt Lake is really rewarding. So I think it's good for, for people to expand their local business and make Salt Lake a greater place. So what's Mention the address again. What's the it's address? 54 West, 1700 South in Salt Lake. So, so it's, on your errands to Costco, you'll see it. It's between Maine right. and West Temple. That's yeah. where we were going that's, yesterday. That is, to that's Costco. where we saw it. We were talking and about it. Yeah. I was like, oh, look at their Sweet Lake. We're going to be chatting yeah. with them tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I mean, you really can't miss it. It's, to even handle Costco, you need a biscuit first. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on the weekends, on Saturdays. Oh, man, yes. And then obviously you're on Facebook, Sweet Lake uh, on Facebook. Yes, uh, Facebook and Instagram. And we do have a website for the restaurant, SweetLakeSLC.com. Our menu's there. I mean, it's really our menu and our phone number and yeah, yeah. just the basic information. But And, and I'll put all those links at IamSaltLake.com uh, with this episode show notes as well. So if you didn't get an opportunity to write those down or you can click them on through there. And we're on U- Uber Eats if you're feeling extra lazy and you don't want to drive I was actually just wondering that. I was going to so, ask. How, do you like that? I guess There's plus and minuses to that. They take a huge percentage I've of heard your that, yeah. fees. Mm-hmm. Like 35% um, is yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. I Especially think it's when I think it's 30 now. 30. I mean, in the restaurant business, you, you're looking at, you know, 30% overhead, 30% food costs and 30% labor. So really you're skimming like 10% profit. So when Uber's taking that big of a fee, but the thing with them, and we've tried several different platforms they do have drivers that are constantly coming and we can get our food to people's houses pretty fast with Uber Eats. And we started out with them, tried other platforms and went back to them. So, you know, there is room for improvement. Do you get a lot of that though, being a breakfast place, I guess, or we, we actually get a surprisingly significant sales bump from that. It, like, like Terry was saying, there's not much profit there, but it is exposing. We, we almost look at it as marketing instead marketing of sales. And- it's like, mm-hmm. it's exposing 
getting our food to enough people that they can tell their friends and then they'll eventually come into the restaurant well, and sit down and have the have the experience. Yeah. And you're paying workers to be there all day regardless. So if you can have more sales dollars and have them making some, Sure, keeping you know, busy. Keep it more busy then. Very cool. Yeah, kind of. Now, Christina has a question that she asks everybody that comes through this. So I guess we'll make, I don't know, get two different. We're going to need two different uh, answers, I think. If you could leave our listeners with one piece of life advice, what would it be? Say yes more often. That's what I, I I stumbled across that when I was in college or something like that. And I've tried to do it and it seems to open a lot of doors. And, you know, there's a lot of scary things out there that that you, you have, give you reasons to not try things. But. I mean, like this restaurant and like other things we do, it's like just step out, step out a little bit. Mine's just based off of, I just watched this documentary on Bill Murray. I don't know if you guys have seen that on Netflix. Not yet. We um, want to. Where he just shows up at random parties and it's really cool because their message is nothing matters, like nothing matters, meaning not in the negative context, but just in the positive, like if something bad happens, sometimes good things come out of that and vice versa. If good things happen, sometimes bad things can come out of that. And so just kind of roll with the punches and have more of an even kill approach to life rather than let it like rock you so far because, you know, you never a bad know thing could happen and then a good thing happens right after because of that. So it's just, I liked that message. That I like that. Gave. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I've had a heck of a conversation. Thank you guys for coming and doing this. I'm glad we ran into each other at the City Weekly Awards. Thanks for Um, having us. You bet. I mean, Sweet Lake, I mean, great addition to Salt Lake City. Uh, Everybody should come check them out and uh, and eat some of the food. And let them know you heard them on I Am Salt Lake, right? That's what's a lot of fun, right? People, (laughs) I think some people are too shy to say they heard you on I Am Salt Lake. I don't know what it is. But uh, anyways, we'll end the podcast. Again, thank you. And uh, we'll catch up down the road, right? All right. Thanks. Thanks. Many thanks again to Hassan and Terry for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All the links to connect with them and find out more about Sweet Lake Biscuits and Limeade can be found on our website, IamSaltLake.com forward slash 369. Hey, before we jump into this week's recommendations, I want to talk about the fact that we're going to be flying out to Orlando, Florida, the beginning of March for PodFest. I'm actually going to be on a panel talking about local podcasting. I'm really excited to go out to Florida. I've never been to Florida, Christina. I haven't been there as an adult, and I am so excited to go to PodFest, but also sit by the pool. Oh my gosh. Have a few I, drinks. This winter has gotten to me. I need some yeah. warmth. I need some sunshine. So we're going to be in Orlando like the first week of March. And I just wanted to uh, talk about it for a second on the podcast, just in case we might have a listener out there, right? You never know who's listening to I Am Salt Lake. We might have a moment uh, to get together for a drink or coffee or dinner or something, we're going to have a couple extra days there, I think, in Orlando. So if you're in town, feel free to reach out to us. Don't be upset if we can't make it work, but I just wanted to throw it out there because I know uh, we're going to be busy with PodFest. Right. And, and if you're if you're interested in podcasting, come out to PodFest. Oh, I, man, yeah. It's going to be cool. Anyway, uh, that leads us into our weekly recommendations time, where this is a time where Christina and I, we give a weekly recommendation of something that we enjoy or we discovered, something that we like. Do you want to start with yours first, Christina? Sure. I'm going to be a little narcissistic this episode, and I'm going to recommend the Taskem Talkback podcast. I was actually on their recent episode talking to them about why podcasters need a website and how it can benefit you. So we'll put a link how to listen on our website, but I would say go check out episode 39 of Taskem Talkback. What's funny about this, uh, Christina, is I've actually been a longtime listener of this podcast, and I don't even think you really realized that when when they reached out to you to come on it. Oh, no. When they reached out, uh, you were like, oh, I know them. And I was like, oh, really? Wow. Of course cool. you know them, <laughs> Of Chris. course you know them. You know everybody. <laughs> so that leads me into my weekly recommendation, which is the Himalaya podcast app. And the only reason I actually checked this app out is because they're a big sponsor for PodFest. And so I was like, well, shoot, I better try their app out. Oh my gosh, this is an amazing app, much better than Apple Podcast, much better than Spotify. So if you're using any of those garbage apps to listen to podcasts, you might want to check out the Himalaya podcast app. It's, it's, it's great discoverability. I don't Have you checked out the app before, Christian? This is the first I've heard of it. How do you spell it? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, of course, it's like H-I-M-A-Y-L-A or something. Himalaya. Oh, okay. You just saw it because I, I jotted it Google down. Google it. Well, no, I'm curious, like, for listeners, how <laughs> they can you, find it. Of course. Put me yes. on the spot. How do you spell it, Chris? <laughs> Himalaya. This is the spelling bee I'll put I'll put the link with that other, with, with your Perfect. Task Cam Talk Back podcast, which was good, by the way. Oh, thank you. Really good. I enjoyed it. Was it was fun. 
That's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Five Wives Vodka, Wizarding Days, Market Source Real Estate, and The Melting Pot. We have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can find at IamSaltLake.com. All right, guys, you can send us an email any time of day if you just want to say hello. Really easy. Hello at IamSaltLake.com. Do people still send emails, Chrissy? I think so. Yeah. I I mean, they might be dated, but we're still in the game. Oh, my gosh. Just (laughs) send us an email. Say hello. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you're listening from. Again, that email address is hello at IamSaltLake.com. And even better, if you want to send letters, packages, and candy, you can send it to us at P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. All right. You have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. Support local. And we're going to see you on that next episode. And good night, Grammy. Grammy.